My name is Willie Bolin. I study influence, persuasion, and leadership in selling and sales management, and I teach people how to sell. In this podcast, we'll talk to some of the world's top sales leaders and see what we can learn from them. Welcome to the Sales Lab. This episode of the Sales Lab is brought to you by the 2021 National Collegiate Sales Competition, a virtual sales recruiting event and role play competition happening March 5th through 8th, and hosted by my undergraduate alma mater, the Coles College of Business at Kennesaw State University, just north of Atlanta, Georgia. Let me read a little bit from their website. The National Collegiate Sales Competition, or the NCSC, Participants come from the most elite sales programs from universities around the world. The exceptional education, training, and faculty have collaborated to develop the next generation of sales leaders. In fact, I'm told there will be about 72 schools sending teams to this year's event, with each of these schools sending multiple student representatives. In other words, this will be a huge source for job candidates. What does it mean for you? Well, if you're a company looking to hire top sales talent, You need to be involved in this. I should point out that in addition to their main event in March, the NCSC will also hold a preliminary virtual career fair on February 12th. So there are plenty of ways to get involved and find the right salespeople for your organization. Visit www.ncsc, as in National Collegiate Sales Competition, dash KSU, as in Kennesaw State University, dot org for more information on how you can get involved. Your competitors might be there, so why not you? One more thing I wanted to let you know about. There's a virtual event coming up that you might be interested in. It's a sales enablement conference organized by the Global Sales Science Institute and Ruhr University in Bochum. Uh, that's in Germany. It'll be held online February 25th. And I want you to join me along with some other great people, uh, Rob Peterson, Tamara Shank, Deva Rangarajan, to identify and discuss the actions needing to be implemented in order to create and sustain effective sales organizations. The link to register and learn more is a little bit long, so I'm just going to post it on all of the Sales Lab social media. So if you're interested in learning more, go check out Facebook, go check out LinkedIn, and you can find the link there. Welcome to the Sales Lab. Today, we conclude our discussion with Alex Homer from the Tom James Company. He's going to tell us a little bit about his early career story, comparing the 2008 economic recession, which was happening when, around the same time he was getting started with the 2020 pandemic. Uh, he'll also describe a moment of his career when he realized no one was coming to save him. If he was going to be a success, it was going to have to be through his own disciplined effort. I think I was first introduced to that idea by the phrase, if it's to be, it's up to me. A little cheesy, but a lot of true. So we'll also get a horror story from him. That sounds like it would be written into an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Hi, Larry David. I I know you're listening. Big fan. We'll also get a good story, a story of victory against all odds and some book recommendations. Finally, you know, this episode is titled The World Needs Salespeople. That sounds like a bold, maybe over overstatement, right? But I think Alex has a pretty good point. And if you stay till the end, you get to hear a little bit about that. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy it. said something a moment ago that kind of caught my ear, which was, you know, you're talking about when you feel like there's no food on your plate and you feel like you're struggling to survive and all this. So you you start in 2008, fresh out of the University of Central Florida, moved to Houston, new, new city. Did you even know anybody there? I didn't know a soul when I came to Houston, Texas, except okay. for the except for the manager that was hiring me. He was he was at the National Collegiate Sales Competition. He happened to be from Houston and he was the only and, uh, Was that Osh? It was, well, there would have been two. It was Osh, Deshmuke, and then Les Stretch. Oh, okay. Um, both good guys. Osh, I, I got I to confess this to you. Osh is kind of who I want to be when I grow up. He's he's there. I'll echo that statement. So. He, uh, it just everything he says, I'm like, 
oh man, that sounds so cool when he says it. I bet if I said it, I'd sound like an idiot though. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ash is, what gives me a lot of hope, Willie, is Ash is like you and I. He didn't know what he, he knew then and he learned it. And for me, I'm like, man, that's, it's just being exposed to that, which you are building the minds of, of, of many, including myself on this, on this podcast, just having those tools, you'll, you'll have the wisdom later. And that's what gets me really fired up. Yeah, for sure. But so you get, you get there in 2008 commission only, maybe I, you know, I don't, don't, I, you don't have to divulge your finances to us or anything, but you know, a, a lot of pressure. Uh, if they were giving you a base, it wasn't a base that you would have wanted, you know, like, you know, that you have to sell if you're going to survive in this career. So I have to imagine that breeds somewhat of a scarcity mentality, right? Uh, a little bit of a, you know, I have to survive. I have to look out. I have to look over my shoulder. Is that true? And if so, how, how long did it take you to get past that? It is absolutely if, true. If you've gotten past it. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. It took me, and it didn't have to take me this long, but it took me about two and a half years for me to navigate through that. And I did not make some really good, wise choices when I started. I didn't make as many calls as I needed to make. I didn't prospect as hard as I needed to do. I didn't ask for referrals as often as I could have. I didn't answer as many objections as I could have. And I struggled. I really did. And about two years into the business, I was completely flat broke. About six months, a couple months after I really went broke for uh, for the second time, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a fair shake because I'm really not right now. And there's nothing that I can go do that's going to make this any different and buckled down and busted my can. And about six months after that, I could see my business turning around. And one of the best things happened to me in that time. And I started getting into training of new partners and mm, okay. I was scared because now I was giving up time. I was giving up referrals. I was giving up my days in the field to go follow others. And one of the biggest phenomenons um, in my career that happened started then. And that's, I started to become more effective on the days that I had for myself. Yeah. And I was actually selling more in less time with less, you know, giving away resources to others, but, but, but God finding a way to give me resources for myself and, it allowed me to take my business to the next level and get involved with recruiting and team training and hiring and all that. Well, it's certainly true that teaching something forces you to learn it in a different way. You know what I mean? So that that probably helped your skill set as well. So two years in, I have to ask, why come back again? Why didn't you just go find something else to do? So, I mean, some, some might say, yeah, it's important to be persistent, but th- that can become dysfunctional at some point, you know? Well... You know, there's certain things in life that I think you take less seriously, right? You know, I was in college, I had relationships and you weren't looking at your character and go, well, if I don't make this, this two week relationship work, then, and then I'm doomed for failure. That's not it. I think you hold a vocation and a career to a higher degree. And I knew that if I quit when the chips were down, then I would learn to quit at everything else that I was doing. Hmm. And it scared me because I knew that I would have five or six or seven plus jobs. So I said, you know, I'm not really using any of my potential and I certainly haven't given my very best and I certainly haven't done it the way that Osh and other people told me to do it. So why don't I try that and let it work for me and just see where it goes. And 
when Osh and Les hired me, they said, Alex, I want you to look at this first stage of your career in a five-year window. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, give it five years. And I'm thankful that I did because by the end of year two, I was broke. And by the end of year five, I was selling chairman's club and selling just under a million dollars a year in clothing. And I would have never reached that point had I not really given it five years. I would have looked at my career in the two-year snippet and go, well, this kid just moved here and went broke. Yeah. Well, uh, even in what you're describing to me, I mean, that almost sounds like intrapersonal competition. It almost sounds like, you know, because I I grew up not thinking I was competitive. I didn't play sports. I didn't do anything. I played music. I skateboarded, I guess it's a sport, but it's not in any way a team sport. There's There was no competition. It would just roll around and try not to get hurt. You know, so I didn't think I was competitive. And then as I've late teens and early adulthood and started realizing, well, no, I am I am kind of competitive. I'm just, it's kind of opportunistically competitive. You know, I'm not competitive about everything, but if I, if I, if I feel like there's blood in the water, right, I can get competitive. And I find myself having these conversations as kind of like what you described, right? Well, did you give this a fair shot? Did you do everything you could? Did, you know, and, and the, but then that to me is, you know, you're almost, for lack of a better way to describe it, you're almost bullying yourself, right? You bet. You're <laughs> like, come on, your, come on, you wimp, get up and do it again. You know, what, what's the matter with you? You know, <laughs> absolutely. And and when somebody somebody challenges your character. I would say most people rise to the occasion because there's they may not necessarily be competitive like, ooh, I want to win this game of Scrabble and xylophone, boom, everybody's done. But I would I would say that if somebody finds that one corner of your character and they challenge it, every single person has enough honor to defend it and defend it with action. It's like, mm. okay, you know what? I know I can do this. I know I can rise to the occasion. And Sometimes you do it by choice, sometimes you do it by confrontation, and sometimes you do it from catastrophe. And that was me, because going broke in a city that I didn't know anybody in, driving a brand new Audi with a huge amount of overhead for uh, completely for no reason, I realized quickly that nobody was coming to the rescue, as Brian Tracy says. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. So uh, I also wonder if you have any like horror stories, you know, worst sales call ever, you know, that people might find some joy in knowing that you've suffered as they've suffered. Or uh, if you don't want to go horror story, we could also go victory story, right? Yeah, this shouldn't have, I shouldn't have ever, ever been able to close this sale, but here's how I turned it around or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. I've got plenty. Of, I've got plenty. You, you do this long enough, Willie, and you know this already. You're, you're, you've been doing sales longer than I have. You do this long enough, you, you'll have the stories. One of my worst ones that I can think of more of the last several years, I, I sold a guy a couple of suits and some shirts and some ties, and he worked in a call center. And his office was like one of these open bullpens. Think think boiler room, think Wolf of Wall Street, but, but less yep. boisterous. And I would walk through this environment every time I went to go see this guy. I went and saw him, and it was... Two guys and one guy bought from me. The other guy didn't, but I was calling on him because I wanted to get his business too. And he's like, well, let me see how this guy's stuff turns out and and then I'll buy some stuff from you kind of thing. So I go see him for probably his second or third fitting because we were having some fit challenges. My client that I had sold, he had lost a bunch of weight. And I go see him. I step out of the room to let him try things on and 
I open up the door and I could see the look on his face and his partner was in there with him. I guess they shared an office. His partner, I could see, I looked at him first and he looked disgusted. And then I looked at my client and my client had this look of like resignation on his face, but not like complete, oh, no. not complete, like insurmountable anger. So I go to say something to my client and his partner completely hijacks the fitting appointment and starts berating me. And I'm so confused because I'm like, he's not the one that's got the clothing on. He's not the one that paid for it, but he's completely speaking on the behalf of this guy that I've, that I've sold that clearly things were not fitting well. And as I go to defend my position, my client starts to speak up. So now I have two guys yelling at me at the same time. <laughs> and unfortunately, I had my fists clenched and I ended up yelling at my client because I was a bit immature and I was reactive and I that had gone on way too long for my for my liking. And he told me very politely to leave, you know, using a four-letter word. And I opened the door and his entire bullpen is staring at me <laughs> and laughing and giggling. And I'm dragging my bag through this office with like wadded up clothes hanging halfway out of the garment bag. And I'm, and I'm taking the walk of shame out of his office. And I leave and I just remember sitting in my car and having to spend about five minutes gathering myself because it was embarrassing. I mean, that's well, uh, that's like sitcom material is what it sounds like. You know, that's uh, that's curb your enthusiasm uh, set up right there. It was, man. I felt so terrible. I mean, Larry David would have been just laughing his can off at me. <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't go back to that office. So... But it's, you know, it's not every day is like that, right? <laughs> well, may, well, maybe it's time to go back. You know, why don't you, uh, in the next week, why don't you go visit them? Yeah. And, then, uh, and then we'll do another interview and you can, you can bring us up to speed on how it went. Like, it's been eight years. I figured you'd cool off by then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I know I, I was trying to get Mark uh, Kramer when he was on to tell me one. Uh, and he didn't tell me one about himself. He told me one about a, a rep that he had. <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice, a nice dodge of the question, you know. Um, <laughs> let me tell you something dumb that happened to somebody else. But no, that's pretty good. Well, what about what about a victory? What about they didn't seem like they're interested? All the odds were against you, but you managed to pull it through. Do you have any stories like that? The day that I hit Presidents Club was was one of my fondest memories because. I was having such a bad month and I really wanted to hit President's Club. As I told you, I was broke in the summer of 2009. So this would have been April of 2010. And my destination was President's Club because the year that that, that summer of 09, my leader at the time pulled me aside and said, you will be in President's Club next summer. And I remember just laughing it off. So on a Friday in April, rainy day, ugly outside, probably 80 degrees out, humid, just not one of those really fun days you want to be out in the field on. I needed about 8,000 bucks, maybe 9,000 bucks in sales to make President's Club. And, and just to put things into perspective, I had been selling for 19 days and had sold $12,000 worth of clothes. Mm. So I was really having a hard time. 
So to make a long story short, I lined the day up with some appointments. My um, couple people on my training team said, hey, man, let me think about some people right now who you can shoot a note to and and let's see if we can line some appointments up for you. So I knew that I had to leave at four o'clock because I had an out of town wedding. I line up probably five or six appointments and I go to the first appointment and he buys like two shirts. So I'm like, okay, this is our shirts are not, their shirts are not overly expensive. They start at, you know, 140 bucks, but they're not $4,000 a piece. So I'm, I'm not feeling great about this. I go to my next appointment. She does not buy. I go to my next appointment. He does not buy. So it's lunchtime. I have four hours left and I've sold exactly two shirts. <laughs> I go see another fitting and he was one of my best clients at the time. In fact, he was my best client at the time. He was an associate attorney, 6'4", 300 pounds. He was a fit nightmare. Wow. So he needed our services and he was just a good client because he was single and nothing fit him. So he would generally buy when I saw him and he bought a, he bought a couple suits and things like that. It was a decent little order. My next client after that cancels and I was so desperate. I called him and I just said, Todd, I am shooting for this goal and I'm trying to hit it today. I know we were trying to talk about some shirts today. Can I pick you some shirts? And our relationship was not like that. He was very much a, a let me see the fabric. Let me do, let's let's make an event out of this out of this appointment. Hmm. And he said, "Sure, pick me two whites, three blues, a pastel, and a pattern." And I said, "Great, I'll do it." So I I don't have to see Todd, even though he's canceled. I see him, and then I I go to another client. He doesn't buy. I go to another client. He buys one pair of pants. And I'm going to this last appointment, and I'm like, out of a nine thousand dollar goal, I'm sitting at about thirty eight hundred bucks. Yeah. So I go see my client. Now, mind you, this is a client that's fired me because (laughs) something didn't fit on his last suit. So he went radio silent. So I go see him and I spend the the majority of the first part of the meeting just clearing the air and giving him an opportunity to talk. And I just profess to him how sorry I am. I'll do better. You love the, the suits that I got you in the beginning. I'll make it right. And he said, all right, well, I could use a couple of things. And I just said, I'm really trying to hit this goal today. It's been a really challenging day, but I think I can hit it. Anything that you can do would help me out a ton, and I just appreciate it in advance. And he said, all right. So he picks out a suit. He picks out some shirts. He sees another suit that he likes. He says, all right, let's do that. He's like, stop. Where am I at? And I look at it, and I'm I'm probably 6,000 away from hitting it. And I said, we're about 5,300 down. And he said, what is your goal that you need to make? I said, I need about 6,000. And he said, give me another sport coat on top of that and let's get you there. Wow. And I did it at about 350 and gave him a big hug. I had tears in my eyes. I measured him up. I left and immediately drove out of town to an out-of-town wedding. And <laughs> it was a complete whirlwind of emotions kind of day. Yeah, that's incredible. That's great. And it's a day. Well, and, and it's great have. that somebody had kind of written you off as well. That's perfect. And uh, excuse me, you've hit President's Club uh, every year since then? So President's Club is a thousand units and a unit is, is $417 worth of merchandise. So you can only hit it once. So I hit that in 2010. Oh, okay. But uh, this past year was my best year and, and, and I did about 1.82 million. 
Wow. Impressive. I like to ask this at the end of every episode, at the end of every interview. Can you recommend some books for us that you think every sales leader needs to have on their bookshelves? Absolutely. Some of the best leadership books that I've read, obviously, I really like John Maxwell quite a bit. When I hit President's Club, as I told you before, I drove to my leader's house because I was going to a wedding in Dallas and he happened to be in Dallas. So I spent the night at his house and we had some wine and champagne and we celebrated, but he gave me a gift and the gift was a book. And the book was The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership from John Maxwell. Mm. And that is a fantastic book. And I think that that book is one of the best. That's probably the best place to start in leadership is that book. Another book that I think is fantastic that we read as an entire office is a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. That book is, is that a, a Maxwell book as well, or is it that is someone else? Not. It is it is from the Arbinger Institute, and it is a it's a book that's a fable. And it basically talks about the psychological dynamics within management styles, leadership styles, and culture and results within a sales organization. Hmm. That sounds interesting. I've not heard of that one. That one sounds interesting. That one is one that it's an easy read and I really think that you enjoy it. And it's one of these where it's told in a story format and then you get the nuggets kind of at the end. Yeah. But it's a fantastic book. Another book is The the Five Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive by Patrick Lencioni. Anything from Patrick Lencioni is a fantastic probably more macro view of leadership, but it's got a lot of salient points. But that one in particular is really, really good. Also told in a fable type format. Interesting. Okay. Any others? You cannot go wrong. And this is kind of the Bible at Tom James. When all else fails, the seven habits of highly effective people by Dr. Stephen Covey. That is absolutely that is the most foundational life leadership book besides the Bible, in my opinion. That's the most foundational book of leadership that you can that you can get into. Perfect. Any other thing that you feel like you need to get out there? I just think that in a time like this, what people need to recognize and people need to understand is the world needs salespeople because If the economy is going to be rescued, it's going to be rescued by companies moving products and moving service services. And the people that are charged with doing that are its sales force. And so the profession of sales is not a dying profession. In fact, I think it's as prudent and as important as it's ever been. And so regardless if you're selling B2B, if you're selling B2C, the art of selling and the gift of selling is going to be what gets our economy back to a place of prosperity. And it's what's going to rescue our planet in terms of things from an economic perspective. It's getting back to selling. So it's a noble profession. You know that. I know that. But I couldn't be more grateful to have a career in sales, especially during a time like this. Well, that's I don't know if we can come up with a better ending than that. That kind of puts a bow, uh, a nice little bow on everything. That's it for this interview. I hope you got something valuable out of it. Of course, if you did, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast on whatever app you use to listen. Also, share this with your colleagues and friends, and let's continue to have a deeper discussion on all things related to selling and sales leadership. See you next time in the Sales Lab.